In the midst of her pain, in the middle of her problem, Sid O'Neill has continued to exalt her Father in heaven. Isn't that amazing? Let's praise God for Sid. She's with us today. Sid, I find, yeah. Before we pray for her, I find it interesting, you know, last week was a tough week. We wanted to film this, and she'd had a bad week, and then we actually changed the series to fit this, and, and she really pushed hard to, to give us that story this week. And do you notice at the beginning, while she had had a really tough week, she says she feels great. Sid, I, I thank you. Um, I know um, even in the midst of you feeling great, you continue to have struggles, and I pray that God would continue to give you strength. And I'm inspired by her story of, of exalting God in the midst of all that. Let's pray for her now. Father in heaven, Lord, we, we lift up our sister to you. I thank you for her strength and sharing her testimony of how she exalts you in the, midst of, uh, in the midst of her trouble. In the midst of her even being alone, she gets even more alone and gets into your presence, into your just being silent before you and honoring you as God of her life and the Lord. Father, I... We celebrate her because she celebrates you. It's kind of like Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Lord, help us to follow Sid's example of lifting up the name of Jesus. And in his name we pray, amen. I love seeing the church worship like that. Our, my brothers and sisters worship. I love hearing you worship. Uh, I want you to know we're preparing for another uh, time of worship together. You're like, hey, that was too short. I agree. We're going to get into a time of worship after this message. But I want to dive in today of how uh, we can encourage one another and build up the body of Christ and elevate the name of Jesus in our worship. And it's more than just what we do here. I don't know if you've thought about this before, but worship has been a part of God's people's relationship with him for thousands of years. And when we worship either alone in God's presence and in silence, or when we're with the corporate body with our brothers and sisters, we unite with believers of the past and what's happening in heaven now and what will go on in heaven forever. There's something special that happens when we worship. Did you know angels right now in heaven are worshiping around the throne? They're, they're in heaven right now, so, uh, surrounding the throne of God, and they continue to worship continually. Uh, they sing one song over and over and over and over. Does anybody know what that song is? Holy, holy, holy. We see that in the book of Isaiah, uh, in Isaiah's testimony. We see that in Re Revelations chapter 4. They sing this song over and over again, and it's the song, I believe, is kind of like the all-time uh, hit playlist for heaven. It's one song. There is no other, uh, any other thing on this playlist. It's, it's from Revelations 4, 8. It says this, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And they start it again, and they shout, holy, holy, holy. So when we praise God, whether it's at home or when we're gathered here, we join with the angels declaring that God is holy, that he deserves our praise, that he is the one who is and is to come. Day after day, how long will that go on in heaven? Forever. The Bible says this, that day after day and night after night, they never stop singing. So what we do here today, what, what Sid does when she's alone, giving God glory and exalting him, we join with the angels. That, that's a great privilege. That's a, that's a blessing. And there will be a day when we join in the angels literally in heaven. But worship never stops. Never. As humans, that's hard for us to comprehend. We have schedules, we have things that we complete, and then we move on to something else, but worship never stops. 
There will be a day we get to be a part of that worship, but here's what's even harder for us to understand and then do, but I'm going to challenge you to do this today. Our worship goes on continually as saved uh, members of the body of Christ even now. So I'll say that again. Our worship should be continual forever. Does that mean we're always going to be singing? No, and you should be thankful for that right now I'm not singing, okay? There is a reality that while we worship, we're not always singing, And that's the first thing we must understand as we really try to take our worship to the next level as believers, as those saved by grace, that worship is more than what we do on Sunday morning before the sermon. You probably know that, but is that the way you think about it? We have been conditioned by modern church culture uh, to think that the worship was the slow song before communion. There was a time even our culture said we had praise and worship when we went to church. The praise songs were those energetic, those you moved around with, and then the worship songs were maybe those of a slower tempo. Worship does not have a tempo. It's not defined by a location. It's not a landmark by a music. But most of us, if we are honest, we've understood worship for years, and this is okay, we're going to get past it here. That worship was something we did in a church worship service, and that was it. You know, it was that time in the service before the sermon where you could get up and stretch before the preacher started preaching. You know, uh, and we might do that day if I get very long. You might have a, like a seventh inning stretch. Worship uh, was that time if you were really expressive where you could get a, a few extra steps in your Fitbit. You know, if you're ex- expressive, you'd be like, yes, and you would, you're singing, and all of a sudden you, you had that. But here's the reality. Worship is more than that. While it's not inaccurate to think that what we're doing is worship today, it's not complete. If we don't involve our everyday lives, in fact, worship is incomplete. Think about this. If we miss living out a continual worship beyond this place, we're missing the majority of our life of worship. The majority. This is just such a small sliver of how we live and what we do for God that that if worship is just bound by this room, we're missing the point. We, we really need to, to try to work and refocus at our life of living worship. An author, an economist, and a Christian wrote these words, and it struck me. Most people worship their work. Work at their play and play at their worship. I don't know if that strikes you, but most people will, will really uh, worship their work. They, they really focus on that, and then they, they uh, will, will really invest in their play, but then we play at our worship. If it, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And I commend you for being here to focus on corporate worship today, but that's just the start. There's so much more that God has for us to honor Him, and that's what worship is, honoring God. The core of worship, here's the definition, is to ascribe worth or honor to God. And that can be done here with us, one another. I'm so glad that Sid is here, but I'm so glad Sid taught us today that her greatest worship in recent days is when she's alone and just with God and focusing on Him. Worship is ascribing worth and honor to Him by by putting Him first in our lives. So how do we worship? What, what, What are we placing a high value on? As we worship God, we proclaim and declare that we're focusing on Him for our praise. But if you're like me, there's days where I need to refocus that. And that's what we want to do today. I want to give you three uh, strategies or, or folks that help us really live out a life of worship. And the first is this. This is where it flows from, for me at least in the New Testament. On the other side of the cross, worship by celebrating what Christ has done. 
There's a passage of scripture that says we're compelled by Christ. And I know it's talking about a lot of other things in ministry, but I'm compelled to worship because of what Christ has done. The, the truth of knowing the good news of Jesus leads me to worship. It, it compels me to be here with you. It, it compels me to honor God even when things aren't good. It's scriptural also. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Paul is writing uh, the church in Colossae, and he gives them great reasons why they should worship. Look at Colossians 3, verse 16. It says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. This is this idea that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that he died for us, for our sins, was buried and came back to life and resurrected and ascended to heaven. That truth that he died so he could live, that message, when it dwells in us, look what happens. As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs, from the Spirit, singing to God with, grateful, with gratitude in your hearts. What Paul is saying, when we understand the good news of Jesus and we let it really impact our minds and get to our hearts, it overflows into gratitude and praise. Guys, really what compels us is not Ben leading us, it's not a light show, it's not music. What compels us is what Christ has done. And that's what allows us to worship him even when we're alone. To let the adoration flow. But when we don't allow that truth to really fill our minds and hearts, you know what happens? We become weak in our worship. Not only here, we kind of go through the motions when we're here, but we can go an entire week and be weak in our worship and the fact that it doesn't really affect our lives. I want us to, to consider today what is leading you to celebrate anything and everything, especially Christ. I wonder what comes most natural for you to celebrate, what, what you get excited about. The last two weeks, I have been super excited about uh, the Greenville Comet football team getting wins. I love when, whenever my home team gets a win in anything, but the last two Friday nights, it was very obvious to me, when your team wins, you don't have to teach anyone how to celebrate. When your team uh, comes back and gets a victory, it naturally flows. It, it just overflows from your heart, a, a sense of celebration, a sense of joy and happiness. If you've ever been involved in athletics or a team effort at all, when you have a victory, uh, you celebrate. Even adult men do crazy things to celebrate victories in the NFL. Watch this video clip of what some adults do to celebrate a touchdown. This is pretty cool. Drive to start the half for Minnesota. 13 play of the drive. Case Keenum throws a touchdown. First touchdown of the game for either team. It goes to Kyle Rudolph. He's got that goose. <laughs> you don't have to teach adult men how to celebrate a touchdown they're going to get creative they're going to do whatever it takes now i'm not suggesting the elders come up here and do duck duck goose right now to celebrate christ it it wouldn't be wrong but we're not going to probably do that but how natural is it when things go away of this world and things of this world that we celebrate? And it's not a bad thing. But why don't we have that same passion when it comes to the realization that Christ died so we can live? We can be excited about that. Now here's the idea that I don't want to take too far. Your way of expressing is going to be different than mine. And your friend's is different than yours. We don't all have to express the same way. We don't all have to raise hands all the time. We don't all have to clap. While the Bible does say this, it's scriptural. God desires for his men to raise holy hands and worship. 
But we can't uh, prescribe what this looks like and this looks like. Then we become robots. What we do is we allow worship to flow out of our hearts in uh, being compelled by what Christ has done for us. And yet many times we come to church and I believe God sees us worshiping. Or throughout the week and He sees us living our lives and we're distracted from giving Him glory. And I think it breaks His heart. I mean, we know how to celebrate when things of this world happen. And then God sees us in worship, and he's got to be thinking, man, I wish they would have that desire and that passion for me. I mean, he sees us on Friday nights at the football game or when Pujols hits a 700 home run. I believe it'll happen. This region is going to go crazy in celebration. Hey, did you see the home run or this or that? We know how to celebrate that. How much do we celebrate when we get that raise we needed? Anybody got a raise recently? You might not want to raise your hand be like somebody be looking for a loan. But here's the thing. We get excited about things when they come into our lives. Or how about that first time that she said yes to a date? You got excited. You told your friends. You celebrated. Or how about when she said yes to, your, to the prepare, a mo, a marriage proposal? Or how much did you celebrate when your firstborn child was born? How much more did you celebrate when they finally moved out of your basement, you know? We know how to celebrate things, and yet we come to church and we're not sure what to do. Uh, Be free uh, to flow in adoration out of song and thanksgiving because of what Jesus has done. And do that at home in your life in every way. No matter what fires you up, God is calling on you today. He says, have that passion for me and what I've done for you in this victory. We sang about the victory The battle belongs to the Lord. He has won the victory. We sang about it. Let that flow in your life all the time. Why should we hold back a celebration for Christ? But sometimes there's not much to celebrate, is there? That's when we need to take Sid's example and get silent before the Lord, just see how good he is. But how do you worship when pain is so fresh? How do you worship when hurt uh, can't be forgotten? I think of today. September 11th, the pain is still very much in most of our minds. How do you worship, in a sense, whenever things are so heavy? 21 years ago today, our nation went through a horrendous attack by terrorists who overtook uh, passenger jets and flew them into the Twin Towers, into the Pentagon, and our nation was brought to its knees in, in I would say, fear and shock and awe and anger. Uh, Nearly 3,000 Americans died that day. What do you do then? How how do you heal when the the memories are... I I see very few things from 20 years ago, but in my mind I can vividly see the images of that happening live on television. What do you do? You know what our nation did? According to Barna Group, who, who studies a lot about the church culture, our attendance in corporate worship went way up that next month, and then it went way down. We responded immediately by coming before God, and we had the right response, but we so quickly left what we wanted to worship, and we left it behind. This morning, I want to sit in that presence, because some of you still have that hurt. You may still have fear, and I know many Americans are still almost tortured by that terrorism, that, that awful day. Well, let's return to God now and pray for them. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you now, and There's times when it's easy to celebrate when we think of your victories. And then there's times we feel attacked and and evil has moments of of death and destruction. Father, heal those that have been hurt. Uh, 
Let those who have given a great sacrifice, their lost family members, let them know our concern and love, not only today, but throughout the year. Father, uh, we thank you that our nation responded quickly, but we're, we're sorry that we have faded away again. I pray that we would worship you, not in just our buildings and with our church families, but every day. Father, especially when we're hurt and when tragedy hits. In Jesus' name, amen. When we don't allow the truth of God into our lives, we, we can miss the, the point. But please hear this. We worship God not because what is happening, but because of who he is. I should have put that on the screen. Maybe the best thing I share with you today. We worship God not because what's happening, but because of who he is. We also uh, worship God not because of the things that are going well, but because we trust in his goodwill. We've got to get to the point where we worship and praise God out of an overflow of Christ, period, rather than just things are comfortable or, or we're confident about what's going on in the world. We worship because God's will will be done and he's in control. And in that, we live out Psalms 95.1. It says this, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Uh, write this scripture uh, down in your phone, maybe in, in your Bible, uh, to come to, to this scripture when things are tough. I'm going to shout to the Lord and, and, and worship him with a loud voice because he's the rock no matter what else is crumbling. No matter what you face, we can celebrate because he's the source of salvation. And especially when we're down, we need to worship him. Here's why. Worship and connect to his power. When you feel down, when you feel overwhelmed, take Sid's advice, take the Apostle Paul's advice, and when you feel like there's nothing you can do, don't do anything but be with him for a moment and, and tap into his power through worship. When you heard Sid's story, one of the things that she liked to do is remove herself and just be in silence. It's scriptural. Look at Romans chapter 8. It says, if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. We don't know how to wait patiently very well. But in today's culture, we want things and we want it now. Well, what, the, what Paul here is saying, what Sid has revealed to us, when things weren't going her way, a lot of times to, to still exalt God, she chose, I'm not going to fight this, I'm not going to complain, I'm going to sit in silence and know that he is God and I'm not. When, when we hope for things that are not there, we wait patiently. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And we do not know what to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through words, through wordless groans and he who searches our hearts knows the minds of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for God's people in according in accordance with the will of God so when things aren't going your way ask God to use the spirit to ask on your behalf when you don't even know what to ask set in silence say spirit uh, speak on my behalf before God and he will I went to Bible college in the mid-90s, late-90s, and, and I kind of learned during that time certain things were not longer used anymore. And I was like, uh, maybe speaking in tongues. There was a professor that really said, hey, speaking in tongues was just totally dead. This idea that the Spirit could lead us to have different words was totally dead. And I went home and I shared that with my family. My mom's like, hey, that's not true of me. She says, whenever I'm broken, whenever I'm at my wit's end and I don't know what to do, I just sit before God in silence and darkness often and I just let the Spirit speak for me. And she says, I have uttered words out of my mouth that I cannot explain. And that is the Spirit of God interceding on her behalf. I will admit to you, while I've done that before, I've never heard those words come out. 
But guys, this is scripture. When you're broken, come before him and the hopes you have. Say, God, these hopes are not fulfilled. I'm giving everything to you and let the spirit intercede on your behalf. Whether it's through silent words or audible words, trust in him to help you be strong in your weakness in accordance with God's will. Not what you want. Here's the bad problem. When I, when I pray and I'm broken, you know what I usually pray for? Things that I want. Anybody with me on that? We pray for what we want. The Word of God here is saying when you're broken, when, when you need His power, just be silent and trust in His will. That's an act of worship. Because you're saying, I, I trust you more than I trust myself. I honor you more than myself. Recently, I had a friend who was going through an extreme tragedy. I mean, one of the worst tragedies that I could ever expect a, a human to go through. And I was walking with him real time through it. The first time he came to corporate worship, I heard someone say to him, I can't imagine worshiping God after all you went through this week. You know what he said? I can't imagine not worshiping God based on everything I went through this week. My friend was compelled to worship God, and that's where his strength came from. He tapped into God's power when there was no power to be had of this world. He says, I'm going to worship you. I fear that for us as modern Christians, we try to figure most of these things on our own, and we get through life, and we just barely make it. That's exactly where Satan wants us, trying to do things on our own. When God's power is right there, we're at, not only in this building, whether you're at college, whether you're at your workplace, on the ball field, or you're alone going for a walk, and you feel like no one else around, we can come before God and say, God, you are the one who sustains me. And I will worship you because who you are, not what's happening. It's right there if we just flip the switch. Now, I don't want to make it too simple, but, but God's power is there for us to assess if we would just come before him. Kind of reminds me of a story probably 15 years ago now. I relate it to how old Dawson was. Dawson was with me farming in Streeter at his grandparents' house. We take a, a family vacation once a year always and go help farm. Dawson was with me in the auger wagon. We were taking the grain from the combine to the trucks at the end of the night, we always try to fill everything up, get everything on wheels so the next day we can dump before, it's a, before we're able to harvest. On this night, something had changed. We were going to leave the auger wagon at this property because it didn't need to go back home. And I was asked to jump into one of these, it's known as a tandem. It, uh, it's, it's often a semi that's converted with a big grain box. So, so the actual truck is a full-blown semi. That's what they had. It was an international from the 80s. It was their oldest truck on the farm. And that's why they trusted me to drive it, I guess. But my father-in-law said, hey, why don't you leave the tractor there, jump in the, the tandem, and bring it to the farm. We're going to dump it. Well, I had never driven that tandem. I'd driven many manuals. I grew up on a, a stick, an 83 S15 uh, truck. You know, I was second nature to drive a clutch, so that was no problem. But I get in this truck, and I've never driven it before, and none of the lights work, okay, inside. So you can't see anything. This was before phones had lights on them, at least mine. So I'm in this truck just feeling my way through it. Get it started. It takes about two minutes to find the headlights. So that's one big step, right? Okay. So the lights are on. Dawson's like, let's go. Uh, Grandpa and, and his, his uncle are way, way down the road by now. We're, we're losing ground. Dawson is, is five at this time. He's like, we got to get going. Here's how you do this. Because he's been in this truck with the guys. So Dawson, at five years old, trying to tell me where things are. It was a big help, let me tell you. So we finally get started up. You have to, this truck, the air brakes had to warm up. It had to build. So another about three minutes went by before we could even move, before the air brakes came on. 
Then I finally get out of the field, and I'm doing like five miles an hour, and then it comes time for the first shift. I'm like, okay, don't kill this thing on this, up, on this upgrade. So I'm driving. I make the first shift, this, the third shift. It's a five-speed on, on the first side. I get to the fifth gear on the low side, and I'm pretty happy, and we're doing like 18 miles an hour. And I was like, we got to get going. In the dark, without driving this truck, I decided it would be best that if I just keep moving at 18, 20 miles an hour, then try to get to the high side. It is driving Dawson crazy. If I, he's like, we've got to go. You, you can go much faster than this. I was like, we're just going to make sure we get there. So on the seven or eight mile trip, we are at this point 20, 30 minutes behind the rest of the group. When we finally get to the farm, my uh, brother-in-law says, what took you so long? He says, you were going so slow. And I said, yeah, I kept on the low side. He goes, you drove all the way here in the low gear? And I said, I did. I just wanted to get here. He says, all you had to do was let off the gas, the fuel, the, the pedal, put it in neutral and flip one switch. And you had all this other opportunity to drive, to go normal speed. And here Dawson is, I told you, dad, that's all you had to do. <laughs> but you know the problem? I wasn't humble enough to ask for help. I wasn't willing to take it from my five-year-old son. And I wonder how many times we're like that in life, just barely getting by, trying to do it on our own, just trying to survive, when all we have to do is come before God and say, God, I need your help, and he will empower us. He will strengthen us. He will uh, allow us to, to go through life with so much more uh, confidence than we have ever on our own, peace and power. It's right there, but we're not willing to engage it. That's what worship is, not just in this building, but all along that, that we can come before God and say, God, I want to live for you. I want you to power my life, and I'm ready to run. You can worship him every day in your life at school, riding to work. You can have the spirit of worship when you win or lose on, on the ball field or the court. You can have a spirit of worship when you're talking to your neighbor or riding with a friend. You can have a spirit of worship in your relationships with your boyfriends or girlfriends, with your spouse, but yet all the time we're like in low range just trying to get through. Well, I can figure this out on my own. How about flipping the switch and say, God, I want your will in my life, and I'm going to let you lead me because you are worthy of my life. Sometimes we just mess worship up because we think it is the thing that only takes place in this room when Ben leads the songs. Ben, ben and the band did a good job, and I'm, I'm excited for getting worship, a couple more songs. We uh, get in the rut of thinking worship happens when the worship leader picks three to five songs out, and, and the tempo's just right, and, and the band's hitting everything, and, and maybe the lights are changed. Guys, that's not worship. That's not all worship is. The longer we're Christians, the more we come to a place like this, we're tempted to become consumers rather than, rather than worshipers. We measure what we do here by how funny the preacher is, how, how good the music is, and if it's our style. Guys, we're here for God, not ourselves. Amen? I love the fact the elders have made a choice, so to have two worship styles right now, because worship style affects the way we connect with God. But if you go to a church sometime, and you happen to come into a style that's different than you, I, I, I submit to you, don't walk out, worship God. If you come here someday and, and there's been a curveball and we're doing things different than you expected, I challenge you to worship him because it's not about you. It's so important. We can do it every week together, but we can do it every part of our life. I, I want you to mark this on your calendars. On November 4th, on a Friday night, that's pretty radical, we're going to have a night of worship where we blend a number of different styles together. And there's not going to really be a teaching time. We're going to let the Word teach us. We're going to respond to God. So November 4th, Friday night, I invite you to be here. 
whether you come at 8.30 or 10.45 usually, invite a friend and we're going to worship God. Look what Hebrews says. For here we have no lasting city. He says, on this earth it's not going to last. But we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then let us continually, this is this idea where continually, not just at church, offer a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. The Hebrews writer says, because this world is temporary, we're going to continually look at something that's eternal. We're going to offer a sacrifice of praise that acknowledge he's the one that's in control. A sacrifice of praise is what really sets apart true worship. And hear, hear me, this is the last point. Worship by sacrificing for God's glory. There is not really true worship without some type of sacrifice. I commend you for a few sacrifices this morning. You're missing time of something else you should be doing. It's a sacrifice. Most of you spent, put fuel in a car to get here today. That was somewhat of a sacrifice. Some of you are bringing a sacrifice of offering. Others of you are bringing a sacrifice of doing something that you were tempted to do. There is often a sacrifice connected to worship. It's really the first place we see worship in the Bible with, with a huge sacrifice that was being offered. Do you know the first place the word worship appears in the Bible is Genesis chapter 22, where Abraham has been asked by God to sacrifice his son Isaac. Now, here's the big context of this. Abraham, by this point, when Isaac was born, was 100 years old. His wife, Sarah, was 90. They thought, man, there's no way we can have children, but God promised a, a son that he would be able to bless the world through and, and make the way for Jesus. And as Isaac was born, God's blessing seemed to be being realized. And then God says, hey, uh, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son. In this context is where Abraham says, let's go worship for the first time ever. Genesis 22, 5 says this. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the, ser the servants. The boy and I will travel a little further. We will worship there and then come right back. He says to all of his servants, he says, you stay here. We're, my son and I, we're going to go a little further and we're going to make a sacrifice. We're going to worship and then we'll come back. The interesting thing is he didn't take a lamb, but he took a son because he knew God wanted him to sacrifice a son. That's what he had been called to do. Watch this clip and see about the heart of a true worshiper isn't connected to sacrifice. Father, we have the firewood, but where's the lamb? Provide a sacrifice, my son. Did Abraham take a lamb? No, mistress. Huh? <laughs> 
You're hurting me, father. Isaac, you must trust in God. Thank God for the lamb. As a father, it's almost impossible to watch that and not be touched. To think that Abraham wanted to admire and worship God and adore him to the point where he would give up the son that he'd always dreamed of. Knowing, and he said, hey, we're going to return after we do this. It won't take long. He believed in his heart, the Bible says, that, that even if he sacrificed his son, God had the ability to raise his son again. It was a foreshadowing of the sacrifice that God was going to do with his own son in raising him to new life so we could be saved. Praise God, we do not have to do those type of things today because Jesus has sacrificed himself but I wonder if God would ask something great of you, if you would be like Abraham and willingly lay it on the altar, say, God, I love you enough to give this to you because I trust you can bless me more than this ever was meant to be in the first place. This puts in perspective that true worship flows out of sacrifice. It's the first place it's seen in the Bible, and it points us to the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus. If you have uh, your communion uh, today, I, I would ask you to take it out. We are going to right now remember in worship uh, the sacrifice that was given for us in Jesus. I mean, think about this. God allowed Abra Abraham to not bring his hand down on a son. He, he stopped that from happening. But as Jesus, God's son, was placed on the cross, he did not stop the Roman soldiers' hands from coming down on his son's wrist and his ankles for spikes to be driven in. God allowed his son to go through that pain to be sacrificed so we could live. So today, as we come to this time of communion and Lord's Supper in the middle of communion and, and, and worship, let us remember the sacrifice that was given. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we so thank you for Jesus and the sacrifice he freely gave that when you had him lay out on the cross you allowed those hands to drive nails into his hands and feet and he was crucified and he allowed his body to be 
mutilated and his blood to be shed for the forgiveness of our sins. As we partake in this, as scripture says, we proclaim his death until he returns for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take the bread together. Let's share in the cup, the covenant of his love. True worship flows out of sacrifice. I think that's why Paul says this. I'm going to end with this passage today. And we're going to worship some more. Paul says, therefore, therefore you understand what Jesus did. Therefore, that you have this idea in your heart and and truth in in your mind that God sent Jesus to die for you. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of that mercy, God's mercy of Christ dying for you, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Because we know what God's mercy has done for us, we respond with worship to him. We're going to have a chance to do that right now. Would you stand with me as we prepare to worship uh, again in in a corporate setting? That as we understand what Christ has done in view of that mercy that we deserve to die and we can live, we praise him. Today, we're planning on a baptism, at least one. It's been set up. But you may be here today and you're thinking, I have never given my life to him. I want to follow in Abraham's example. I want to uh, receive what Jesus has done for me on the cross. That invitation is open to be made new through being buried with him in baptism and be brought to a new life. Father in heaven, as we worship you now, Lord, if someone is being led to sacrifice himself, to, to give themselves to you, I pray that they would, they would respond and be made new through what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Let us worship him now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.